Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. We're coming to you from the Jasmine County Public Library's recording studio. My name is Eden Gray. And I'm Carrie Green. And we're here with Bonnie, our special guest for today. Um, how do you pronounce your last name again, Bonnie? <laughs> Danner. And tell us what you do for the library, Bonnie. I'm the adult materials selector. I buy the books. And you're also our collection development librarian. What does yes. that mean? That basically means I buy the books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. We're very glad to have you here today. Um, we're going to be talking about diversity and diverse books and uh, how it relates to diversity in our community and our library's collection development policy. Um, at our library, it's very important for all of our materials that we select and purchase to be a reflection of our community as a whole. Um, that can be pretty challenging at times, but it's something that's important to everyone here. Bonnie, do you want to tell us a little bit about how the idea of diversity fits in with our collection development policy? Sure. Um, our collection development policy basically says that we try and serve the entire community, which means that anyone from the community should be able to come in and find something that represents their personal experience and that really resonates with them. But at the same time, we have an educational mission, so we want to make sure that we experience people to new ideas and new cultures and sometimes more challenging ideas as well. So, uh Basically, our collection development policy tries to be fair to everybody and consider everyone who might possibly walk into the library. How do you go about finding, making sure all of the different aspects of our community are represented in our collection? Well, uh, I usually start with uh, either review journals or publishers catalogs, and anytime a title comes across my desk, I'll kind of look at it, see what else we might have in the collection that's similar, how well it's circulated, what uh, new aspects that title might add to our collection. Um, I like to get things usually that are things that I think will be popular, but at the same time add some new element that is not represented in the collection, whatever that might be. So a lot of times when people talk about diverse books, um, they're usually referring to uh, identities and people specifically, but in the library we also want to consider diversity of opinions and views and beliefs, um, and that definitely, I feel like, affects our collection choices, right? Yeah, absolutely, especially for really controversial topics. I'll always make a point of trying to find something from both or multiple viewpoints if I think it's going to be a hot-button issue. Yeah, I feel like that's something that the library is I feel like that's something that it's important for the library to uh, provide for the community so people can come in and research all those different points of view. And I think it's important too to say, to note that if you read a book and don't agree with the point of view, then maybe there is something else in our collection that would provide an alternative point of view. Um, someone actually recently told me that they read a book and they were upset because it wasn't well researched. Um, and it came from, you know, a reputable press, but they felt that the the facts weren't correct. Um, you know, that hopefully we have something else in our collection that would balance out that not as well researched book. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like we do. And it's always the case that if we don't, then we try to find something else if people are interested or people can always make uh, suggestions and we'll review them for adding things to the collection. And that was that's actually a good segue into my next question, which is how do people go about suggesting books if they want to suggest that the library purchase something? You can make suggestions on our website if you have internet access where you are, um, or you can call us or you can speak with anybody at any of the service desks in the library and they'd be happy to help you fill out a form and pass it along to the right selector. And uh, as you're both selectors, how, um, how important are those suggestions that we get from the community? Very much. We look at them all and we take them seriously under consideration and at least we know one person will be interested and that's not always a guarantee with some of the things we get. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I try to buy just about everything I can that people request, um, just as long as it's not out of print or something. If I can, I will. Um, most of the time, it just depends on availability and appropriateness for my collection. Sometimes we might pass it on to someone else and we might get it in a different part of the library. Um, I have a question for Bonnie. I wonder, do you know how many patron requests you get regularly? On a whole, daily or weekly or monthly? Oh, man. It varies a lot. Um, I have a few people who will just request, you know, 10, 15 books at a time, maybe once a week or something, and then I'll have one or two trickle in every now and again, but probably maybe 40 a week. That's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> That's more than I expected. Anything else you want to add? I'm kind of curious, I guess, um, for, for Eden with the teen selection, if you find when you're looking for diverse books, either ideologically or just based on ethnic background, if there are some holes in, that you just can't find anything. One thing that's really hard to find for the Young Adult Collection is definitely large print materials. Um, uh, basically, all you can find in large print are the really popular titles like Divergent and Hunger Games and uh, The Fault in Our Stars, things that have been made into movies or Harry Potter. Um, and there isn't really a large selection for large print. Um, and also for um, books on CD and playaways, there aren't there isn't a huge selection. Um, and I wish that there were there was just more to choose from so that people who liked a little bit of everything would have a little bit of everything to choose from. I think it's also interesting to know, and I learned this at a meeting recently, that the entirety of our collection circs very well. Um, so while we are getting all these different books on different topics, different viewpoints, all of those things are checking out here. Right, Bonnie? Yeah. <laughs> what, do you remember that statistic or does Carrie? It was less than 1% of our collection hasn't been out in over four years. Which means that 99% of our collection has been checked out within the past four years. And um, that compares to, just for a frame of reference, like most of our benchmark libraries have like a, a statistic of 8 or 9%, I wasn't think it? I it was something like that, yeah. Um, so that's a big difference. We're doing really great. Yay. Yeah. And our, Yay, selectors. We're doing great <laughs> selecting things in our communities taking those things and, and reading and enjoying them all. So Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we just want to thank Bonnie for coming on the podcast and being our first guest. Um, 
Thanks, Bonnie. I'm honored. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, we hope that you enjoyed our little chat with Bonnie, and you can look forward to a new guest from some area of the library on the next Books and Bites podcast next month. So today we're going to be sharing some of our favorite diverse books and some of our top recommendations in that category. Um, Why did you want to talk about this topic, Carrie? Well, I don't know if it made our recording, but last time we met, we talked about um, how I think all of us wanted to read more diversely this year. That was one of our collective reading goals. Um, And since February is Black History Month and March is Women's History Month, this just seemed like a good time to do it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, So we're going to go ahead and get started with sharing our recommendations. The first book that I want to talk about is The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian, by Sherman Alexie. It was published in 2007, and it was considered an instant classic. It's won numerous awards, including the Boston Globe Horn Book Award for Fiction, the American Indian Library Association Award, the National Book Award for Young People's Literature, and the Odyssey Award. This was Sherman Alexie's debut novel, um, which makes all those awards truly impressive. And The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian is always one of the top 10 most challenged books each year, according to the American Library Association. It showcases the struggles of growing up poor and as an American Indian on a reservation in the rural United States. This novel tells the story of Junior, an aspiring cartoonist growing up on the Spokane Indian Reservation in the state of Washington. Junior only has one friend, and everyone else picks on him for his variety of medical problems. The only home Junior has ever known is on the res, and when he decides to leave it to go to an all-white school in a neighboring town so he can get himself a good education, he's considered a traitor to his people. Junior's strength of character and enduring wit get him through tragedies, sorrows, and everything that life can throw at him, which is a lot. Thankfully, this serious novel is interspersed with humor with some illustrations by Ellen Forney that perfectly complement the story and Junior's unique point of view. It's a fantastic story for teens and adults and is often read by high school students in their English classes. I would say if you're enjoying the novel at home, you should whip up a stack of pancakes like Junior has with his date after the winter formal. The library has a lot of breakfast cookbooks, but my favorite is Biscuits, Pancakes, and Quick Breads which has the perfect recipe for quick, fluffy pancakes. Check out our blog post on the Books and Bites page of the website for a link to that book in our catalog. So I also love um, this book and almost chose it as well. (laughs) First time ever that we've had a book overlap. (laughs) But it's been a long time since I've read it, but I immediately, when you were talking about the food, it made me think about the movie Smoke Signals, which um, yeah. was written by Sherman Alexie, um, and they had this obsession with fry bread. Yes, I really wanted to include fry bread as a recipe for for this, but it's not included in the book at all. Like I, I looked basically skim reread the entire book, looking for recipes and. 
things they have are they have a big Thanksgiving dinner, a traditional Thanksgiving dinner, which Junior thought was strange um, mm-hmm. to have on the reservation. <laughs> they ha- they order Kentucky Fried Chicken a lot, and they have they have this pancake outing, and that's most of the food that they have. And he illustrates each of them, which is fun. Um, but fry bread is amazing. <laughs> have you actually had it before? Yes. Yeah. When I was in college a few times. It, it looks really good, and it looks easy to make from what yeah. I saw online. Yeah, you just have to be good with using, like, a self-rising dough and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. great. Well, if you also, if you haven't seen the movie Smoke Signals, I don't know if we have it. I'll have to check into that, um, but I highly recommend that. And it was made in 1998, and it was the first all-Indian movie to be made. So one of the books I wanted to talk about is A House of My Own, Stories from My Life by Sandra Cisneros. Um, Sandra Cisneros is one of my favorite writers. Her, Her most famous work is The House on Mango Street, a short lyrical novel about a young Mexican American girl who longs for her own house. And it's one that's also often taught in schools. A House of My Own is a memoir and essays compiled from various sources, including magazines, anthologies, and lectures. As the title suggests, the pieces chronicle a writer's life and search for home. From the house on the Greek island of Hydra, where Cisneros finished the house on Mango Street, to her periwinkle house in San Antonio, to her current home in central Mexico. Cisneros also tells stories of her travels, her family, and her own writer heroes, such as Marguerite Dura and Gwendolyn Brooks. In her novel Caramello, Cisneros writes reverently about mole, and the sauce also appears in the essay El Plato, the Quarrel. Cisneros writes about her friends Rolando and Ito, arguing over whether Rolando's mother made her mole from scratch or from a jar. Aw, come on, Ito says. You're trying to say your mother dried the chilies and ground them up and took days and days to make mole from scratch? You've got to be kidding. Later in the essay, Cisneros writes about inviting herself to Rolando's house for a mole dinner because she'd bought homemade mole, quote, dark and moist like a heart. And besides, she adds, everyone knows I don't cook. (laughs) I've had quite a few mole dishes in my time, and uh, I found all of that very amusing (laughs) and accurate. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I have eaten mole from scratch just once at a restaurant in San Antonio, um, and it was everything that Cisneros described. It was rich and complex and delicious, and I think you'll crave it while reading this book, but um, I think that she would agree it doesn't matter whether it's homemade or if it comes from a jar. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And I think you can uh, you can get it from a jar and make it your own still. Um, when I was in Mexico uh, during college, I had several different kinds of mole, and my favorite was chocolate mole sauce mm-hmm. with chicken, and it was amazing. <laughs> That's the kind that I've had. And we've also had, um, we also have a, a lot of Mexican cookbooks that have recipes for how to make your own mole. So as I mentioned in our January Books and Bites meeting, The Sellout by Paul Beatty was one of the best books I read in 2016. 
Vasella won the 2016 Man Booker Prize, and it was the first book by an American to win the prestigious award. What I love about The Sellout is the way that it deals with the very serious subject of race in America with humor, or more accurately, with biting satire. Like Mark Twain's Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, The Sellout proves that sometimes comedy is the best way to reveal America's dark side. The book takes place in Dickens, California, a city just outside Los Angeles that is both agrarian and urban. As odd as it might sound, the narrator says, I grew up on a farm in the inner city. That does sound really strange. <laughs> when you said Los Angeles, I wasn't thinking of rural, but yes. farming, but urban. Have it you- is just one of the many quirks of this <laughs> novel. <laughs> Have you ever been to LA? I haven't, but yes, I can Im- it, I, it doesn't sound like anything that would have a farm in the middle of it. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, so when Dickens is erased from the map, it's part of what the narrator calls, quote, a blatant conspiracy by the surrounding increasingly affluent two-car garage communities to keep their property values up and blood pressures down, unquote, the narrator sets out to revive it. With the help of the last living ra- little rascal, Hominy Jenkins who, in a side plot, insists on being the narrator's slave, the narrator attempts to bring the people of Dickens back together by segregating the middle school. As you can imagine, this outrageous scheme lands him in front of the Supreme Court, to which he is summoned by a publisher's clearinghouse-style letter that reads, Congratulations! You may already be a winner. (laughs) What? Yes. So the book, that's just a touch of the book's crazy humor. It is laugh out loud funny, and nothing is safe from Beatty's lacerating humor. You're easily offended. If you're easily offended by provocative language or stereotypes, you may want to avoid this book. But if you want a book that will make you laugh and think, I highly recommend it. Because the narrator is a farmer, he frequently discusses his produce. He especially obsesses over the health of his satsuma tree. As little rascals, Hominy and his co-star Buckwheat, quote, found the fruit's perfectly balanced bittersweet flavor to be the only thing that removed the nasty taste of comic relief watermelon from their mouths, unquote. Later on, the children of Dickens flocked to the narrator's satsuma tree because it's the only thing that can relieve a stench that had, quote, settled over the neighborhood like some celestial flatulence, unquote. (laughs) You may not be able to find satsumas now as they are usually harvested in the fall, but they are the perfect accompaniment to a book with this much tang. So a satsuma is like a citrus tree? And can you buy the fruit just anywhere? I've never seen them before. Um, well, I, you know, I'm not sure if you can buy them just anywhere. I actually moved here from Louisiana, and they are one of the citrus trees that they can grow in Louisiana because they can stand withstand the cold a little more than other citrus trees. Um, they're often called satsuma tangerines, but okay. technically they're a mandarin. Okay. Um, so they're, they're a little easier to peel than a traditional orange and maybe nice. a little bit tartar. That sounds good. I'll yeah. have to look, keep my eye out for them. Next the fall. fall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. All right. For the last book I'm going to talk about, um, it's a little more serious. 
Um, it's called All American Boys, and it's by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Keeley. It's co-written. This one, uh, I don't believe it's won too many awards yet, um, but it's it's a really important book, and uh, I recommend it every time I can to anyone who comes into the teen library or wants to read some young adult fiction. The book is about Rashad and Quinn, one black, one white, but both American boys, who face the unspeakable truth that racism and prejudice didn't die after the civil rights movement. Both boys are present in a convenience store when one of them is accused of stealing and brutally beaten by a police officer. Rashad ends up in the hospital for weeks, and his school and community go crazy over the incident. The message, Rashad is absent again today, becomes a rallying cry for the boys' friends, the school, and the rest of the community. They want justice for what happened to Rashad, but Rashad himself isn't really sure he's ready to stand up for himself. Quinn, the second narrator, has to decide whether to be brave and speak up about what he saw. But the police officer is his best friend's older brother, so he's conflicted. But Quinn is the only one who can tell the objective truth about the beating that Rashad took. And Quinn just isn't sure he's ready for the consequences. Told in alternating points of view, written by the respective authors, All American Boys is a hard look at the realities of racial issues in the United States and how it affects our youth and our schools. I particularly recommend the audiobook because Quinn and Rashad are read by different narrators with very authentic voices. Now, both of the main characters talk about ending up at a restaurant called Mother's Pizza with their friends on the weekends. Um, and I thought it was interesting that the boys are very different, have very different families, um, but they all like to go to this one place and they all end up hanging out there. So I recommend enjoying this book with a big slice of pizza and an ice cold drink. You can try making your own pizza with one of the many pizza cookbooks that we have in our collection, and we'll link to those on our blog, so check it out. Well, that, that one sounds really good, too. I'm always curious about books that are written by two different writers and how they go about doing that. Yeah, this one is very clearly uh, divided. The chapters are either in Rashad or Quinn's point of view. Uh, Jason Reynolds writes Rashad's chapters, and Brendan Keeley writes Quinn's chapters. Um, so, yeah, I always wonder, do they send the chapters back and forth? Do they, they can't possibly sit down in the same place and write the book mm -hmm. together? And how do they do it? I, I guess it depends on the authors, but this one's very well done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a good one. Another... Um difficult but important read. Definitely. We also have several diverse books to uh, share with you from our patron recommendations from our last Books and Bites meeting at the library. The first one is Dispatches from Pluto, Lost and Found in the Mississippi Delta, and that's by Richard Grant. It's a nonfiction title about the author and his girlfriend as they move into an old plantation house in Mississippi and learn to hunt, fend off varmints, befriend local eccentrics, and learn what makes Mississippi such a special place. Another fantastic recommendation we have from patrons, um, and something that you can read in English or in the author's native Spanish, is Esperanza Rising by Pam Munoz Ryan. 
Esperanza and her mother are forced to leave their life of wealth and privilege in Mexico to go work in the labor camps of Southern California, where they must adapt to the harsh circumstances facing Mexican farm workers on the eve of the Great Depression. Um, this is a, a classic, diverse novel that many people read in uh, elementary or middle school um, as they're growing up. Check out those patron recommendations and be on the lookout for more in the next edition of the podcast. To find a list of books and recipes mentioned on this podcast, and to find out more about the creative space and our recording studio, visit www.justpublib.org. For more book recommendations and discussion, we meet in person once a month at the library. Each Books and Bites meeting is the last Wednesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. in our conference room. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his forthcoming album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. To hear more of Scott's work, visit palisades.bandcamp.com. 